Um, I love unexpected surprises. Um, my, my, my wife and son weren't supposed to be in here this morning, so, um, but they are. So what a, what a joy that is. Now I can't talk about them. Um, no, I'm, uh, I'm grateful. Um, let's, let's pray, and then, uh, then we'll get into the word. Father, thank you for unexpected blessings. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to gather underneath it. Lord, to listen to that which you have given us, to explore it, to bring our hearts, to bring our questions. Um, Lord, I pray that you would stir us up by your Holy Spirit, that you would open us up to that which you desire us to hear and receive. Father, that you would bring a work of your grace, that it would be transformative in our hearts and our minds, and ultimately in our lives. We bring this to you and ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. That marks the start of the message. <laughs> Thank you, Hercule. Well, to begin the new year, uh, we, uh, we're spending a couple of weeks uh, focused on prayer. We started this last week and are uh, doing it again this week as well, uh, because what better a way to launch into what the Lord has in store for us this year than in focusing on how we come to him and depend on him for everything through prayer. Last week, we started this by looking at a few places in the book of Acts. And as we did this, we, we looked at how the early followers of Jesus prayed. We saw this characteristic within their lives in which prayer was a centerpiece. It was an inseparable part of who they were and how their lives functioned. Uh, Luke uses the word proskaratoreo, which means devoted or devotion. And one of the ways that it is used is for a, uh, in, the, the, um, in picturing attaching yourself to someone or something. So prayer, we said, was one of those main somethings that the early church was attached to. And we talked about how uh, it wasn't because this was just some external exercise that they felt obligated to do because of religious duty. Uh, rather, they were devoted to in prayer in, in large part because their view of God was such that they knew how powerful he was and how anything of lasting value was going to come from his hand rather than their own. And they also knew that they were dependent on him to survive. They knew what they were up against in life and ministry. And they knew that in order for them to survive and continue on with that which God had called them to, they had to pray. And they had to ask him. And they had to depend on him. And so we looked last week, among other places, at Acts chapter 4 and the account of the church praying for courage after Peter and John were put in prison and then, and then released. And we looked at how in the face of persecution, they turned their faces towards the, their heavenly father and they acknowledged the threat that they faced and yet they asked for courage to continue on. Essentially, they prayed like their lives depended on it. 
because they did. And just as their lives depended on it, so too do ours. Now this morning we're going to look at another way in which the early church, I think, approached prayer. See, because not only did they pray like their lives depended on it, they also prayed like others' lives depended on it. Now again, this all stems from a healthy picture of God and a healthy understanding of who God is. God was so real to the disciples and so big to them, and their lives were so small in comparison that they knew how real and how powerful he was. They knew that in order to live this life that they had been called into, a connection to him was so critical that they had to be devoted in prayer. There was no other option. And I think our willingness to devote ourselves in prayer also often hinges on our view of God as well, how real he is to us, how big he is to us, how much we really trust him, whether we believe he's out for our good, whether we believe he, he loves us. Those all affect our willingness and our desire to pray. We were singing the song, that song earlier, Canvas the Clay, and I was so struck and affected by that because this picture that, that rose up within me is a picture of God as, a, as an artist painting this masterpiece of our lives. That you are a masterpiece to him. You're the art that he hangs on the wall. Because it's beautiful. Because it's a masterpiece. You know? And, and what, what a wonderful view for us to be reminded of. That that's, that's what we are. We are God's workmanship. We're God's masterpiece. And if that's the view that we have, it's going to affect how we come to him in prayer. But if we think that we're just, you know, a, a canvas that he splashed some paint on by accident, that's going to affect it as well. And so how we, you know, we, we, we view God and, and is, is going to affect our willingness and, and our desire to pray. If, if I don't think he's powerful enough, if I don't think he's willing enough, I don't, if I don't think he cares enough to involve himself in my life, or on the other hand, if I have an inflated view of myself, and if I have an inflated view of my ability, if I think I'm able on my own or capable, apart from God, of doing everything that I need to do, then prayer is just going to become an afterthought. And listen, we, 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 we all do this to some degree at times as well. We all try and do things on our own. Simple example of this. A Friday night, I was passing out money to the kids. Uh, they do some work around the house every week, and, and uh, they get a few bucks each week for giving, spending, and saving. Well, I didn't have proper change. And uh, so I asked, hey, do either of you guys have change for a 10? And so they both go check. And, and uh, in the process of this, Anna, my daughter, she realizes she doesn't know where her purse is. The purse is where all of her money and her <laughs> gift cards to Chick-fil-A, the important stuff in life, <laughs> where, where all that stuff is, right? And so we start looking. And we start looking. And we're looking. And we're flipping over cushions, and we're looking in the cars, and I'm sending the kids out to go, you know, search, and, and, and we're looking everywhere, you know, and, and we're looking under the beds, and we're, you know, in places that we never would think, in the refrigerator. Like, why would we put a purse in the refrigerator? But we're looking in there, right? And, and, and then we begin retracing the steps of where she last saw it, which was, okay, this is, it was last weekend. Okay, what did you do? Well, we went to Chick-fil-A and the library and Sam's. So I call Chick-fil-A. I'm like, hey. Did you guys find a purse, you know? No. All right, so we keep on looking, and we keep on, you know, just trying to find this thing. And it's nowhere to be found. 
Well, that night, as I laid down to sleep, I realized we never prayed. All of our effort trying to find this thing and figure this out, yeah, we didn't stop once to pray. And so the next morning I woke up and I called Anna over to the couch and I said, you know, sweetie, we looked and looked for that thing and, and we, we tried to find it ourselves, but the one thing we never did is we never prayed and that should have been the first thing that we did. I said, we should have started with that. We need to pray. We need to pray. And so we did. Uh, we, we, we sat down and we prayed, just simply. God, help us. Help us to find this. Now, I know what you guys are probably thinking, but I can't put a neat bow on the story. We haven't found it. We haven't. And, and I hope we do, because my daughter's heart's involved in this. We still didn't find it. We're still hoping that we find it. But the reality is that we, we come up against those same things plenty of times, don't we? We, we? we pray, and we don't get the answer that we're hoping for. But what we did in that moment is we reinforced in her life, no matter what happens, that's what we need to do. We have to come to God, and we have to ask him that he's ultimately the one that we need to come to first, and he's ultimately trustworthy and the one that we depend on for everything in our life. Now, I realize you may look at me and, and, and go, well, you know, you're looking for a lost purse. Like, do we need to pray every time we lose our keys? You know, some of you guys, it's, that's a lot, you know? Um, <laughs> And I, and I get it, I get it, but, but, but the point here is, if we truly believe that God cares about the intimate details of our lives, that there are no small things to him, that down to the number of cells we have in our body, the number of hairs we have or don't have on our heads, and yes, the lost purses of our children, that, 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 that he cares about the, the most minute details in our lives. If we live as if, and we see him as a God to whom the small stuff in our life matters, I believe that it shapes how we come to him and how we depend on him for everything else in our life. Now again, this morning, our focus is on praying for others. Uh, this morning, we're going to look at the example that we see in a few different places in Acts of the church praying for others. And, and there are three accounts that we are going to look at here of, of, of praying for others. And in each of these, I would say that there are some questions that arise for us to wrestle with a little bit when it comes to prayer. Now, two of these accounts we've covered already in our study of Acts last fall. Uh, one of these is going to be new, and this is the one that we're going to begin with. It's in Acts chapter 12. Uh, Jason read this earlier for us, and so I'm just going to read the first five verses to start. Uh, but Luke says this in verse 1. He says, it was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. So a little backdrop here before we get to the last verses of this, this section. Uh, Luke tells us about this king, King Herod. And the, 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 the King Herod that he's talking about here, we see that name a, a, a number of times in Scripture, but the King Herod that he is talking about here is Herod Agrippa. He was the grandson of Herod the Great. And Herod the Great was the king who the Magi encountered when they went looking for, for Christ and who ultimately ordered the children uh, of Bethlehem to be killed. 
right? Now, like his grandfather, Herod the Great, um, Herod Agrippa, he, he was brutal as well. And he also, like his grandfather, desired the favor of the Jewish people, particularly the rulers like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And, and so he, what he would do to try and gain their favor, favor is he would observe Jewish laws and Jewish customs and observances. And, and, and another way he, he also did this is what we see him do here. Uh, he knew the way that the religious leaders felt about the followers of Jesus. And so another way to gain favor with them and advance his popularity was to have them, you know, was to, to begin putting pressure on them. And so he had James, and this is James, the son of Zebedee, uh, sons of thunder. You might recognize that term of, you know, the followers of Jesus. This is James, uh, the son of Zebedee. He, Herod has him arrested and immediately killed. Now, picking back up, it says, when he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. So like James, Peter is thrown into prison. But because it's right before Passover, uh, and, and during this festival that is taking place, Jewish custom did not allow for a trial to take place. And so Herod, he's going to go along with that, and, and, and Peter is not immediately executed like James was. And so the church, while Peter has been thrown into prison, they begin to pray for him. Luke uses this word, uh, which gets translated into to eagerly or earnestly. And the word here is ektenos in the, in the Greek. It, it literally means stretched out. It's, I think, where we get the word extend, ektenos. And, and, and so it, it's this, this, this picture that is, is kind of put out there of being stretched out in prayer. And it, and it has this similar kind of characteristic to what we looked at last week of the devotion, only there's a, a sense of urgency within this and immediacy within this context. There's this wholehearted, urgent pleading to God and being stretched out in prayer for Peter. The church is praying against this very real physical threat to, to Peter's safety. And they're praying against seemingly impossible odds. They're praying like Peter's life depends on it. Because it did. A Peter had been put in maximum security lockdown. You know, it says that he was chained between two guards and there's four groups of four soldiers and there's sentries outside of his cell. See, Herod knew that Peter had been arrested before, but he had walked out of prison before as well. And so he wasn't taking any chances, or at least so he thought. Of course, prison walls, we know, don't stand a chance when they're up against the power of God. So the church is here and they're, they're praying fervently. They're stretched out, contending for their friend and their leader to escape harm. And the text tells us that in the middle of the night, before he was going to trial, that a jailbreak takes place. It says suddenly there's this angel that came and struck him on the side and said, Peter, wake up. 
and the chains fell off of his wrists. And then Peter follows the angel out of the, the beyond all of these guards, and the, the gates open by themselves, and they, they go through it. And when they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. It is this amazing account of God once again setting Peter free from the clutches of those who would seek to do him harm and attempt to stamp out this Jesus movement. He responds, God responds to the prayers of his people who were stretched out, pleading for Peter. And the Lord sets him free. Now we look at this, and it's, it's amazing. We go, look, wow, look at the power of God. Look at the power of God. And we also see the power that is available here through prayer. But I think that there's something else that, that is easy to skip over here that we, that we need to deal with here as well. See, Peter was spared, but James wasn't. What's up with that? You know, Peter, Peter set free, but James is killed. They're both following Jesus. What's going on there? I mean, surely the, the church prayed for James. But he wasn't physically spared. And so the question is, how, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with that? How do you, how do you deal with unanswered prayer? Does it keep you in your life when God doesn't answer things the way that you hoped he would? Does it keep you from praying more? Does it keep you from coming back to him in prayer? Because it spurred the church on. It spurred them to pray. You know, and, and just as the, the, the disciples fervently prayed for Peter's release after James was killed, we too have the, the, the call to pray for others, even in the face of, of seemingly unanswered prayer. You know, he, they, 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 you know we, we have the call and we have the, the, the freedom to, and the ability to pray for others and their physical deliverance, for, for healing, for seemingly impossible situations to change, just like the church prayed here. But we have to be willing to leave it to God and trust in His sovereignty over whatever situation it is that we're praying to be worked through in the way that He knows it needs to be worked through. It's not easy, of course. But it's important that we, like, like the church, and like James and Peter, that we remain faithful and obedient to God regardless of the outcome uh, of a crisis we face. And so I think the question, again, for us to, to wrestle with here is what do we do in the face of unanswered prayer or seemingly unanswered prayer? And what do we do when God doesn't answer things the way that we hoped he might. Now the next passage that I want us to look at this morning and wrestle a little bit with is in Acts chapter 6 and 7. It is the account of Stephen and his martyrdom. You may recall the account that I'm talking about. Stephen was one of the leaders whom the church appointed to help care for the dis distribution of the food to the, the widows. And, and, and Luke describes him as a man who was full of God's grace and power, who performed great wonders and signs among the people. Now, some people uh, begin to oppose Stephen. And, and, and part, a good part of this was because they were no match 
for the wisdom that God had given uh, to them. And so they would debate, and they would, be, they would get into these arguments, and, and they could not stand up against this wisdom that, that Stephen had. And so what they did, instead of, uh, of, of just walking away, or instead of trying to keep on coming at him, is they falsely accused him of blasphemy. And so Stephen, he is brought before the religious leaders for questioning. And he gives this incredible sermon as a result of this, where he goes through the story of God, of the, you know, the, through the, the, the story of the Jewish people, and he points to how, how Jesus is the, is the Messiah and, 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 and the, the, you know, the promises there. And in this, he challenges them for their role in his crucifixion. And of course, they can't take this. They, they, they can't take the truth. And so they pick up stones, and they begin to kill him. They begin stoning him. Now, meanwhile, while this is taking place, Saul, who at the time was seeking to put an end to this movement of Jesus' people as well, he's standing there, and he's witnessing, and he's approving of this execution of Stephen. Now, what's interesting about this is what Stephen does in the midst of this. As his life is being robbed from him, here's what happens. Verse 59, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Stephen uses his last breath pray for God not to hold the sin of those killing him against them. Essentially, he says, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Now, this is pretty incredible for us to try and get our minds and hearts around. And some of us right now may be going, nope, couldn't do it. And I don't know that Stephen could do it either, at least not by his own strength. But by the power of the Holy Spirit in him, with his eyes set on the glory of God who was receiving him into his eternal home, that was a different story. In that moment, forgiveness in the light of, uh, in light of the glory of God may have seemed like rather small stuff. Now again, there are questions that arise here for us we look at that and we have to put ourselves in that place a bit and we have to ask are we willing to pray for those who we've been hurt by are we willing to pray for those who are being a pain in our lives <laughs> are we willing to pray for God to forgive them you know I, I um we, we have to be willing to forgive them as well. And I think that that's, that's something that, that we often come up against when we're praying for others, is we have to do, deal with the business in our own hearts as we come asking God to do a work in others' hearts. And maybe that's something that keeps us from praying for others that have hurt us, is forgiveness. 
Are we willing to pray for those who, who, who persecute, who tear down the very things that we stand for? What do we do when we are faced with that challenge? See, it's easy to pray for people that we like. It's really easy. Stephen used his last breath to pray for those who were robbing it from him. He prayed that God would forgive them because he knew what that meant. He knew that their lives depended on it. Their lives depended on forgiveness. You, you think about this, Saul. Saul is standing there. He's approving of this. He's witnessing this. He's hearing this prayer from Stephen being prayed. He's hearing these words come out of Stephen's mouth, off of the, roll off of his lips. And, and, and not too long after that, God changes his life. Now, Can you imagine him reflecting on this after that? Reflecting back on what he had heard come from Stephen while he was being killed, while he was being persecuted, and how that might have shaped him as he reflected on that and thought through that. And so again, the question that I think we can wrestle with here is are we willing to pray for others, even those kind of others, like their lives depend on it? Now, the last account that I, uh, we're going to look at here is in Acts chapter 9. You guys may remember this. We covered it in November. Uh, Peter is in this account. He's in the uh, town of Lydda, and he's just healed this guy by the name of Aeneas. And lots of people have come to faith as a result of this. And, and then he gets the call to go about a day's journey down the road to the town of Joppa because this very special woman, Tabitha, has passed away. Now, Tabitha, she's referred to as a disciple here. It's the, the only time that the, this Greek word for female disciple is used in Scripture. Um, and, and so there's something obviously significant that, uh, as to why Luke uses that. But the text says this about her. It says that she was always doing good and helping the poor. But as we find her here in the text, she's no longer alive. And her loss has rocked the community here in Joppa, especially this community of widows who were obviously very close to her. And so as Peter pulls up to Joppa, it says that he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows, it says, stood around him crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that she had made while she was still with them. And you can almost picture this anguish-filled scene that Peter walks into, how they're all weeping at the loss of someone who had apparently poured into their lives and, and given herself unto them. And, and Luke writes that, that, that as Peter went up into that room, and this is all taking place, he sent them all out of the room, then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. Now this scene, again, it's this incredible uh, example of God's power at work. It brings up this recollection of other healings at the hands of, of Jesus, especially Lazarus coming out of the tomb in John 11 when Jesus, he prays and Lazarus, he, he, he comes out of the tomb and back to life. 
and then also some of the other instances that we see God at work in, in raising people back to life. The widow's son uh, by the hands of Jesus in Luke 7, or Jairus' daughter in, in Mark 5. And in all of these instances, the power of God is on display in an incredible manner, bringing life flooding back into the body of those that it had left. Now, why do I bring this one up as an example? Well, one, I think it's a, it, it is an incredible account of the power of God at work in history. But also because of this. Because we have an opportunity to pray for the dead to come to life as well. We have an opportunity to pray for those who do not know Christ, who are dead in their sin, to be brought to life, for, for souls to be raised and lives to be changed, for friends and family and neighbors and our community to come to life. Amen. You know, Peter, he prayed for life to flood back into Tabitha's physical body. The question here is, who are we praying for to come to life as well? Who are we coming and, and, and praying for to be resurrected, for their hearts to come to life? I, um, I've heard this word a lot, revival. Over the last few years, I've heard it a lot. We sang it earlier. I, I admit, sometimes I don't even know what to do with it when I hear it. But I want it. Hallelujah. I want revival to come in my life. I want it to come in our lives. I want it to come in others' lives and in our town and our nation and in our world. I know that there are many of you who are praying for that. I've heard it not just within this church and other places here in the community as well. I know that it is something that is on our minds. And, and, and there's this desire, and it's my desire, for a powerful move of God to come and take place where lives are changed and shaped and set on fire with a passion for the kingdom. But I also know that the way it's going to happen is not by my hands. And it's not going to happen by your hands either. Amen. Or anyone else's hands. It will only come by the hand of God. Right. Yet he has called us to call on him to act in prayer. To call on him to move the hearts of men and women and children. He has enlisted us to pray. A.W. Tozer, he said this, and I love it. He said, to desire revival and at the same time to neglect prayer and devotion is to wish one way and walk the other. Amen. So true. If we are truly concerned about people coming to life in Christ, it is going to be reflected in how we pray for them. That we pray like their lives depend on it, because they do. Uh, Hudson Taylor, great missionary. He said this, he said, it is possible to move men through God by prayer alone. And it is so true. Now, God does the work of the heart. But he's called us to pray for, for those who we want to come to life. And so I think the question here is who is it in your life that you're praying for life to spring up? You know, who is it that you're praying for for their heart to be resurrected, to come to life. 
you know, all of these passages. I think they're helpful. Because when we're talking about prayer, these passages confront us with these questions, which if we're seeking to follow Christ, we should wrestle with. We should wrestle with these questions. We should come up against it and, and say, God, what, where am I on this? You know, and ask the, the Holy Spirit to, to, to guide us in, in this. We should wrestle with these questions. You know, who is it that I'm praying for? You know, what am I praying for in their lives? Am I praying for healing, a change in, in seemingly impossible circumstances? Am I praying for new life? How do I deal with unanswered prayer? Does it keep me from continuing to pray? Or do I keep going and keep stretching myself out? And am I praying for those who I don't agree with or who don't agree with me? You know, am I praying for those who might be treating me unfairly? Or for, am I only praying for those who like and agree with me? You know, if, that's, if those are the only people who prayed for me, I'd be in pretty bad shape. <laughs> but thankfully, you guys pray for me, I think. Um, <laughs> and my family does, too. I think they like me. Um, but it, are we praying for those in our life that we may not agree with or might not agree with us. And who is it that you're praying for right now to come to life in Christ? Um, I'm going to invite the, the, the team to come up, and here's, here's what we're going to do this morning. What I'd like to do, we're, we've talked about prayer the last two weeks now, and what I want to do is I want to take a few moments to actually pray. Um, and here's what I'm going to encourage you to do is this. We're going to, they're, they're going to play quietly for a few moments, and I want to give you a time to reflect on this. I want to give you a, a time for just a few moments to pray, and what I'd encourage you to do is to ask God to help you think of one or two people in your life who do not know Christ. And I want you to take a few moments to pray and ask God to bring those names to your mind and help and help you to think about who that might be that you can be praying for. So let's just take a few moments and, and just ask God, God, would you bring those names to our mind right now as we pause before you? you to do is this. If you can 
if you're up for it, write their first name down. On, there's a tab on your, in your bulletin that says prayer. Okay? And if you'd like, write their first name down there. Don't want their full name, just their first name, so that we can be praying for them as well. Um, so that we can join tabs are there every week because we want to pray. I want to pray. You know, I have an opportunity to see those and praying alongside of the requests that are, 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 are put in every week. And so if there's somebody who's on your heart, then let me commit to praying with you for them. Let us pray together as a church. Now, for perhaps someone that you're praying for right now, we, we talked about this earlier, someone that you might invite to Alpha. That's awesome. And if, if you want specifically me to be praying for that and for others to be praying for that, write on the next to their name, Alpha. And so we can be praying specifically for that. I would just encourage you, whether you put their names down on the tab or they're just in your heart and they're burning there, that you would just commit yourself to praying their lives depend on it. Our lives depend on the hand of God. Everyone's lives depend on the hand of God. So my encouragement is to pray like their lives depend on it. Commit to pray to them this week. We're going to close in song, but I just wanted to share this. I love, I love this. Oswald Chambers, he said this. He said, prayer does not fit us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. Because in prayer, we come to him and we recognize that he is the one that ultimately we receive everything from. And so let's go to him and ask for our Heavenly Father to give and to ask and to believe. We'll come to him willing to receive. Father, we just come to you praying for these names, for these hearts that, that, that we're thinking of. Pray for all of these other things. Lord, we know that there's some things that we're wrestling with here, unanswered uh, or seemingly unanswered prayers, things that, 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 that you've either told us no or not yet, and we don't understand why that is the case. And we don't understand why uh, some, uh, it seems like our uh, terrible things are, are, are happening too, and others are, 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 are just living lives of, of, of blessing. We don't understand some of these things, Lord, but you are so much greater, and your perspective is so much greater, and we come to you acknowledging that, and we come to you saying, Lord, would you work? Lord, would you open up our eyes to see the things that you desire us to see, but to keep us from the things that we don't need to see, and instead trust you and depend on you, Lord. Would you open up our lives in, in, in complete surrender to you and ask for you to work on our behalf, Lord. Lord, we thank you that we can come to you like that. We come to you as a father who loves his children, who desires good things for us. Help that shape how we come to you moment by moment, day after day. Song. Oh.